that's exactly how it works is people think, oh, if I practice stoicism, I'll become that person who is calm mind and able to just operate and doesn't have these sort of like massive swings. And it's like, no, it's the other way around. When Once you learn to tame the mind, once you learn to master the mind, you'll naturally become a stoic person. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off on the road. Let's travel, never looking back. What up? All right, what's going on? Um, I'm in Nashville. I wait. It's uh, is it eight or seven where you are? Seven. Oh, it's seven. Wow, it's yeah. early. So I woke up a little bit late and I texted you and I go, "You just want to record something right now?" And you said, "Yeah, I'm thankful." You said yes. Yeah, let's give it a shot. You're at a podcasting conference, which sounds like not a ton of fun. Is it a ton of fun though? So it's educational and I'm happy and I'm learning, but it's just like nerdy stuff. And, uh, you know, there's not like, I don't want to, I can't <laughs> absorb it for that long, but I'm happy that I, I, I would love, yeah, it's worth it. It's cool. <laughs> people, uh, right. people like know us and that's crazy. Like, it's crazy just to walk around. It's a, it's at a hotel and like, so everyone's staying and it's kind of funny to be walking around and just people come up to you and say that they like, listen. So that's kind of neat. Cause it's all podcast nerds. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Uh, you learn anything cool? Any hacks? Any any growth hacks for us or what? I think YouTube is just the way to go. So, and that's what we'll be doing with this show. <laughs> You're is like going hard. Podcasting is for nerds. We're going to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, well, um, that's the way to go. I, some of these people spend. So, for the listeners, Sean and I. Sp- well, it's not our money anymore. But when we were doing this, like we were like so cheap, and I actually think too cheap about starting this podcast i mean i think it was right how we did it with like really uh bad at first and then it got a little bit better and a little bit better but people spend so much money on recording their stuff and i actually don't think that's important but when you have something like we have which is like you kind of hit this lick it's important to invest and i think we've underinvested, which is crazy yeah maybe i don't know i was renting a studio the first 10 10 20 episodes 100 dollars an hour so that was a that was like professional setup i went i I thought i was going i thought i was over investing at that time because i had zero listeners when i recorded those yeah no but that's my point is that uh, my perspective has changed when i'm seeing like some (laughs) of the budgets that people have um but for this episode i like i called you because i saw like three amazing things that i wanted to bring up to you and you have one two three four five uh um, interesting things and i just wanted to talk to you about them all right let's do them what do you uh, where do you want to start give me give me your first one okay the first one that i we didn't get to last time but i wanted to fill you in about it uh and it's uh about the oh i'm just writing notes it's about the elevator business so i told you a little bit about this so i like there's this was one of these moments and I've had them with you a ton where you explain something and you're like, I didn't even know that this was a problem. I didn't even know this was right. an industry, but now I'm totally bought in and I think it's amazing. And this particular right. comp and well, in this particular company, I'm not sure. I don't it's not because I think that they're bad. I just don't know them well enough to actually believe that they're gonna win. But like it, it was pretty amazing. So let me set the stage. So I believe there's something like I'm, I might be off by uh, a little bit, but I believe there's something like two million elevators in America, and only four companies basically control the whole elevator business. Uh, have Have you ever been on an elevator and looked at your feet where the doors open and seen the names? 
Yeah, you had, there's this little like plaque there, but I don't remember any of their names. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I can't recall. So, I once threw my key in the crack and had to call one of the companies to be like, "Hey, how do how do I get under your elevator?" Wow. <laughs> so it's Otis. You probably recognize Otis. Otis. That's the big one. Yeah. yeah. Otis Schindler Cone and uh, Mishibi. Is that uh, yeah, Mish. Mitsubishi, yeah, Mitsubishi um, are the big ones. I know of Otis because I've already uh, I've looked into them a, mu- a bunch. They're not technically these four aren't technically a monopoly because there's more than one, but basically they control just about everything. And what that means is um, when you buy an elevator, I'm not actually sure how how much an elevator costs, but something like like Target might have six or seven thousand elevators and when you buy an elevator from them it's a like 10 year or 20 year contract it's a really long contract and it's almost like buying a car so when you buy a car you get a fifty thousand mile warranty and except imagine buying five thousand cars and it's incredibly challenging to know when each car needs to be serviced what type of service the the car company is actually going to pay for and what they're not going to pay for, what falls under it, 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 it's kind of a pain in the butt. And so what happens is oftentimes a company like Target, they employ a whole team to manage their elevators and escalators. And they don't know like, you know, what they have to do. And instead of fighting with Otis and deciding, they just go, ah, fuck it. We're just going to call service people and we're going to we're going to get figure it out on our own. And there's two new companies. One is called Automate. That's who I talk to. But there's one in Britain called We Maintain that's raised $40 million. And basically what they do is they manage your elevator and escalator um like it's like fleet management you know what i mean right. and I de- they determine what and i thought that this was so fascinating and very interesting and when i heard about this company uh i was like well i don't necessarily want i'm not sure if i ever want to like invest in anything like this but i would love to own it and so the way it works is they charge 50 to 60 dollars a month per elevator and the name of the game is you just go out and find all the elevators and you say look we're going to be your your agent, which means we sign on to speak on your behalf. And we're going to negotiate with Otis. And we're going to make sure that your shit's maintained. It doesn't break down. And we're going to handle all of it. And I thought that, that was amazing. And it's one of these business models where it's kind of like the way that they charge right now, or a lot of these companies charge is a, a subscription fee, which is fine. But this is one of those business models that we've talked about, like uh, TurboTax, where they take a percentage of all savings. So this is like the easiest shit ever to sell. Right. And so anyway, yeah, they're basically saying, hey, you have no no risk, no loss, because we're going to save you money. You know, you, you sign up to pay with you sign up with us. You're, we're going to save you money and we'll take we'll take out of it in the same way that, um, you know, like Main Street does this with tax savings basically for for you. They'll be like, all right, uh, we'll take a percentage of whatever we save you. It's like, oh, OK, sounds like I have no downside. And even if that percentage is large, it's like found money. So they feel good about it. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. I thought, and I thought this was cool. I've never, have you ever even heard of anything like this? No, dude. Uh, so, you, so I'm just looking at some of your notes. Otis, 12 and a half billion in revenue. Schindler, 11.6 billion. Cone, basically the same, 10 billion in revenue. Uh, it's huge. Those are huge revenues for for these companies. Now, I don't know how profitable the elevator business is, but well, I'm they're very like family owned. 
uh, Otis is like a family-owned business. I'm almost positive Otis has been around since the 1800s. I mean, these are like huge, huge family-owned businesses. So they definitely are. I believe they they have to be profitable. Um, here, Otis. Oh, at, Otis does 12 billion. Otis is publicly traded. So what do you think their uh, market cap is uh, for 12 billion in revenue? Okay, I'm going to guess they are a $22 billion company. Might be less. I think it could be less. You think less? I think less. Is As it of, more? Oh, it's about 40. 40. Okay, so I was 22. I was off. Uh, I was, so, okay. It, it, pretty crazy, right? Like, who would have thought? And so this is just software that lets you help you way, negotiate. Twitter, Twitter is like 50, 55 or something like that. So is it really? Otis, Otis, the elevator company. Yeah, Twitter had been hovering below that. And then now it's at 55, 60 or something like that because the stock went up recently. But um, basically, Otis, the elevator company is worth almost as much as Twitter, <laughs> which is insane. And not only that, I believe, let's see, it's been around since 1853. Yeah, amazing. It, so it's the funny thing is, this is named after like a guy's first name. It sounds like <laughs> it's not even yeah, his last it, it name. Just, it's just it was it was the the company was uh, invented in Yonkers, New York, in 1853, and they've been around since then. Fucking elevators, and so this fascinates me when I like learned about this because you know I like old shit. When I think about you and I and, and a bunch of friends, <laughs> what, were what is Yonkers? Is Yonkers a place? <laughs> you never heard of Yonkers? Born, is somebody born in Yonkers? Because that's amazing. I want to say I'm from Yonkers now. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in the I believe it's in the Bronx in New York. It's like a it's like I don't know. It's in New York. Uh, yeah, from Yonkers in the Bronx. All right. Well, uh, so so this company, but you're what you're saying is that this company is a SaaS company on top of those, right? Yeah, it's a SaaS company that lives on top of it. And here's why this fascinates me. I love old shit, things that last a long time. And we were talking about like the creator economy, Substack. I don't remember what we were talking about. Something like involving like uh, one of these newsletter like one-off creators and it's like yeah i think you can make a lot of money but can you do that for 20 or 30 years it's really really challenging i think right basically sam's type on companies did you start in the 1800s in some way did you um did you have a physical product that you could that you could touch and feel were, did, were you started in the midwest or some some part of america you know are you named after a family like rockefeller or schindler or otis <laughs> or, or, or something like that um let's see what else what else is it you know are you absurdly profitable uh, what, those are your those are your type essentially yeah, look, I think it's cool that's something that to build something that can last a really long time. Yeah, that interests me. Because that 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 like you you optimize for excitement, I think, yeah. or uh interest. I optimize for what's the least amount of work I can do in order to like have freedom. And yours, both yours, are, yours is more like durability and yeah. uh, and I feel like durability is like number 1. It's like, yeah, you just if you have this, you win. And I'm like, if you have this, you might win for an hour and then you might lose the next hour. And like, I'm cool with that. <laughs> so both work, but they're both work. They're just different. What, um, what, what do you, what do you have? What do you, what do you right, Let me give you one. All right. So, uh, what do I want to do? Let's do, let's do, let's do, um, okay. Let's do this unbundling Etsy one. So I'm really interested in these second tier or like what I'll call B class, uh, marketplaces. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean it more like if you're in real estate, you're like, oh, do I buy an A, you know, A class property, which is like it's a modern building, fully leased up, blah, blah, blah. Or do you go for like an older thing that has upside, right? Do you go for something that has some hair on the deal that you might be able to do? And so you, you go, you know, 
this is not New York, right? That like that marketplace might be Amazon, um, Etsy or Poshmark are these like second tier marketplaces, but I see a lot of opportunity in them. We talked about, I think we talked about this, about building SaaS tools for sellers uh, on those marketplaces. So you, uh, you, you, you brought that up and I, and I thought that was a pretty revolutionary thing. That, that was a big idea. And so these exist, but they're not great and there's not a lot of competition. And so like, I think we had talked about Jungle Scout, which sold for some large amount of money that you knew. Um, Jungle Scout is a tool for sellers on Amazon. And I was thinking, okay, who's building stuff like this on these second tier marketplaces like Etsy or Poshmark? Uh, So that was the first idea. Then I started thinking, okay. Wait, that, are you going to elaborate on that? Because that's pretty amazing. Well, I think, didn't we talk about it? Maybe we talked about it. I thought we talked about it. No, if not, then that's an idea. I think... I don't know if you phrased it that way. I think the your the storytelling here that you just said is actually wonderful. So I think that's actually brilliant. We had so at HustleCon we had Poshmark, ThreadUp, and one more of these companies speak, and yep. I think they were some of the biggest. Mercari, Mercari is a big one. Yeah, uh, they're like huge. Secondhand sales, the real real. You know, there's all these like other marketplaces. Basically, there's all these other other places. So Ben's wife. Uh, Tiffany, she is a Poshmark like super seller or something like that. And so she like, she sold so much that like when they IPO, they invited her and like whatever the top other thousand sellers to be like, do you want to buy the IPO? You can buy the reserve price. Basically we're reserving some shares for you because you've helped build this thing. And for so, which company? Like, for Poshmark. And like Airbnb did the same, I think. I think for they they offered Superhost the ability to buy some share, some, some small amount of shares. And so, um, and Airbnb, by the way, another another marketplace where could you build a Jungle Scout type of tool on top of Airbnb? There is that I'm a subscriber for, to. It's called AirDNA. It's amazing. And what does that do? It tells you like what to price it at, or yeah. So it's called AirDNA. And when I was so I rent out my house when I'm not there, and I buy property to rent out, and I use it as a research tool. And I guess it just crawls Airbnb and it determines what the average occupancy rate is, what you should charge, what the earning potential is. It's just it's tons of signals for buying properties to make into an Airbnb. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And there might be other things like reporting, you know, uh, tax, you know, some tax savings you can get or whatever. If you if you're an Airbnb host, it plugs into your Airbnb and it generates your your report. so anyways, uh, I was thinking, okay, you could build a Jungle Scout type of tool. And for those who don't know what Jungle Scout is, basically you go on Amazon. If you have Jungle Scout installed, it's a Chrome extension. And basically when you are looking for products, you can just click Jungle Scout and it'll tell you, hey, here's how much search volume this has. Here's how much monthly revenue this product makes. It's, it's an estimate, but it's pretty good. Uh, here's how fast it's growing and here's how strong the competition is. And so what you want to find is something that there's a lot of search 
uh, and low competition. And if you find some, if you find a combination like that, you're like, oh, nobody's searching for you know wooden spoons that are like wooden oversized spoons. Uh, you don't want to build that because nobody's searching for it. But if you have like you know wooden oversized baby spoons, it's high search, low low competition. You could go go to China, get that product made, and and become like the top result on Amazon, which is basically free traffic for you. So that's the idea. So I think you could do that for Poshmark. I think you could do that for Etsy. One thing that I was thinking about for Etsy is I think you could spin off a whole new marketplace just unbundling Etsy. Etsy is now big enough. It's a public company, been around for a decade plus, and um, has all these different categories, right? So it's like you can go and you can go to home. You can go to um, you know custom gifts. You can go to all these different – categories on Etsy. And you could ask yourself, huh, could I make an, a marketplace of, or, or a service that just does this one thing better than Etsy's doing, market it as that, and actually like unbundle a piece of Etsy in the same way that people have had a lot of success unbundling Reddit, unbundling Craigslist. If you haven't seen this, Google, Google unbundling Craigslist and look at the diagram. It's like it takes every part of Craigslist and then it just shows how Oh, look, this housing part of Craigslist became Airbnb and this became Etsy and this became this other thing. And so the same thing I think can be done here. So here's that's the that's the core idea is unbundle one of the verticals of Etsy. What I would do, I was looking at the, the categories, I would do custom gifts. So custom gifts is one of the top categories on Etsy. And people go there because they want to send a thoughtful, kind of like what looks like a homemade, handmade gift to somebody. Or they're getting it made for like their wedding and they want all their wedding coasters to have their names on them. Or their bachelor party and they want everybody to have matching shirts that say the ba- the, the bachelorette's name on it or whatever. Um, and so I think custom gifts could be spun out into a marketplace that's like Fiverr where it's basically just um, here's a bunch of custom gifts push a button and you get these for you know 10 bucks or some some flat rate basically so i think you could do a fiverr or or even like a cameo style thing for custom gifts and that's the that's the category i would go after but i think generally i think you could study their marketplace and find a, find a we'll find one that works because you can also see the shop sales you can go into any shop on etsy and you can see how many sales it's had which is like you can do that an you can do that dream. now right yeah it's just part of etsy it's like you know here this shop has had 6000 orders and you can look at the price of, price of the store and be like oh and, you know the average thing's $35 so it'd be like 6000 times 35 that's how much revenue this shop the shop has made in 2 years those are both two big ideas um so you're talking about building like the 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 software that analyzes the sales and then the um the marketplace that sells the stuff both actually pretty amazing i go to etsy sometimes and i do so if you scroll all the way to the bottom you'll see how many sales they have ebay does it too um but not as good but that's actually a great idea i and and by the way i looked up air dna so the thing about these software companies uh, you're 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 talking about two different things we'll call it one software one marketplace the software companies so if i told you or if, if you told me about jungle scout a few years ago i would say like oh that's a nice little that's a nice Indie little hacker thing. business yeah yeah well it, it it's probably does like 80 or i mean if it's worth a billion i wouldn't be surprised but it's definitely worth nine figures i know that for a fact because it sold part of their company so i told you just about air dna i thought that was just a small thing how big do you think air dna is by the way jungle scout raised over 110 million dollars which is that gives you a sense of how big it is. If it, if it was able to yeah, raise that. Uh, I think it was pri- some of it was private equity, so I don't know how big the valuation was, but it's definitely huge. Right. Okay. Air DNA. I don't even know what it does. I've never been to the website, so I'm just gonna take. I'm just gonna say a random number out, out of the air. I'm gonna say 
35 million. What is AirDNA well, worth? Well, so they AirDNA, so they charge, I think I pay $100 a month for it. In 2018, they did 4.9 million in revenue. In 2019, they did $8.4 million in revenue. They said they were going 100%. So you could probably assume that I would I would actually bet that in 2020, they probably did 16. And then 21, I, I wouldn't be surprised because uh, there, there's a lot going on with uh, investing in Airbnbs. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the 30 million recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue range. And they raised $8 million in order to... Uh, Build up. They they bootstrapped to nine million in revenue and then raised eight million dollars. So these are like these things that you would think are small, insignificant stuff that could actually be quite big. So that's a that's a fifty to one hundred million dollar year uh, valued business uh, at the at that roughly the, those numbers you just told me. Yeah, it's a huge thing. And who would have thought? I never would have thought that. If you told me you're going to build this thing that, that analyzes Airbnb, I'd be like, not a I chance. I would have been like, like, side hustles are cool. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to bring in the 4 or 5K a month, uh, you know, with your little Air, Air, Airbnb DNA tracker, whatever the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and and I would say, I, I, I would have, if you had to guess what's bigger, Etsy sellers or Airbnb, I would think there'd be more Etsy sellers than Airbnb hosts. Well, the thing with Etsy sellers is that... Um, uh, so Airbnb is very much – it's a lot more set it and forget it and there's less levers to pull and there's less like um, – there's less like categories and things like that. Whereas like Etsy has like multiple different categories. Each one has its own little nuances uh, and then if, if there's like such a wide variety of sellers where, yes, there's many people have houses but it's all – they're all doing the same. They're offering the same service. Etsy's offering like a million different services to people um, and so I think that's why it's, it has probably a little more opportunity. What would you do? Why did you call it Cameo? Well, I was just thinking custom gifts. If custom gifts is this big of a market, I would just start with that. I'd say custom gifts. I wouldn't, maybe the end product wouldn't be a physical gift like Etsy. Maybe it would be something like a Cameo where it's a video or it's just making a jingle for somebody or it could be with celebrities or non celebrities, but basically some way to send a custom gift to somebody. If that's such a big, uh, such a big, uh, part of Etsy, maybe you could rank for it in search or run Google ads and hijack some of that traffic of people looking for custom, you know, handmade, whatever, custom name, blah, blah, blah. And be like, yeah, we do that. We'll, we'll put your name on a shirt. Yeah, it's not as nice as Etsy. It's, you know, we, we just took the generic Etsy look and we just mass produce it basically. Um, that, that, that'd that be one way of doing it. I'm on it. board with that. Um, you want to move on to another one? Yeah, yeah. Let's All move. right. So I'm going to weave to one, one of mine and one of yours. I, I'm a big UFC fan. So are you. So DC Daniel Cormier, he is a uh, he's retired now, but he's a, he's a big fighter, and he uh, he posted this thing, and I'd seen ads for it, but he posted that he's now going to endorse this thing called Fit to Warrior, and I went and looked at it. So Fit to Warrior, it's incredibly interesting, and so what they do is you spend twenty two hundred dollars, and in six months they take you. Is it six months? Maybe three months. I think six months. They take you from being a complete noob, so you're just a guy off the street. Isn't it, isn't and, it wimp to warrior? Oh, sorry. I spelled it. Yeah, it's Wimp. My bad. That fit to warrior wouldn't make sense. It's called Wimp to warrior. Uh, Wimp to warrior. They take just you off the street. You give them $2,200. And I think you get like 100 classes or 50 classes. What did I write? So uh, so it's a 20-week program. How many months is 20 weeks? Five. Uh, so, five months, yeah. Okay. So you, you have five months. And what they do is you sign up and you have a fight. You have a fight scheduled 
five months from the day you sign up and it's like <laughs> and it's like cohort based you pay like twenty five hundred dollars right, or something like that course yeah yeah it's a cohort based thing and they say in the next five months we're gonna take a guy off the street and you're gonna have an mma fight now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that the goal of this is not necessarily to get you fit or to like get in a fight the goal of this is to have like a pivotal change in your life to be more confident yeah. to say like look i've i've said i'm going to lose weight forever now i like i have a fight in 5 months if i don't get my act together like i'm really it's not a good it's not going to be good so this is like right. a pivotal life changing thing and i love this business they just raised 8 million dollars from a bunch of pe people it was launched in Australia. And basically what they're doing is they came up with this name, Wimp to Warrior. They come up with this program and they work with loads of different MMA and I guess boxing gyms and they license out their program. And now they are paying uh, Conor McGregor's coach, John Cavanaugh's on board, DC, all these coaches to like promote it and they give them a, some right. type of fee. I thought this was amazing. And I think this is amazing for a couple of reasons. One, it's a business that I actually think would, this would change your life. If if I told you you had to, if I told you you had a fight in five months, would that be the one thing that okay. finally like Am said I like wrong? I, I got to take this? Am I wrong that you think basically this should be mandatory part of the education system? Well, <laughs> so look, here's want the thing: everybody to do this. <laughs> here's what here's here's why this has always fascinated me. So women have this because they have like a biological like you are now officially a woman, but men. We've lost like a rite of passage. We've never had this like, all right, now I'm officially a man. Like, I guess if you're Jewish and you have a bar mitzvah, maybe that's like the cr like the crossing <laughs> of the chasm. Like, all right, you are no longer a boy. Now you are a man. And like we had this like I, I, I love uh, the Spartans, the Spartans, because they do this thing where they like you'd go. They'd say, all right, you're 14 or whatever. Now you got to go out in the wild for five days and you got to survive and just come back when you're done. Right. Men, American, we don't really have this, like, this, this modern this. day. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love these type of transformational, like, all right, it is official. You have, it, there's a start beginning and then like an end type of thing. So I love that. And you up here, you want to talk about mental fitness. I've also done like yoga or not yoga, um, meditation. I love headspace. I love calm. I, I, I try to, I do buy into mental fitness stuff, but it's a little bit tough because it's not like intense. And so I right. love these intense programs, and I think that they can be great businesses and incredibly fun and fulfilling to run. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things. First, I, I had seen this. I thought uh, McGregor's coach, John Cavanaugh, I thought he invented this because he was the first one always talking about, oh, we're doing Wimp to Warrior. It's so good. We have 200 people doing it this season. And he just kept doing it, and it was like they take average Joes. You come in, and you basically say, cool, I'm going to turn into a fighter. I'm going to train like a fighter for X amount of weeks. And then uh, it ended the, it kind of the graduation, the culmination, the rite of passage at the end is you do the like the, 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 the amateur exhibition fight or whatever with somebody else from the program, I think. So it's not like you're not in a ton of danger. Um, I think it's really cool. I didn't realize that there was like a business underneath this. And so just to do the math. So basically what they're doing is they're licensing this out to gyms and they're saying, Hey, this is a great, um, customer recruitment like mechanism right so you you run a wimp to warrior program we'll give you the branding we'll give you the business in a box kit and what what you got to do and, is, and, and we'll send you the customers and we'll send you customers because we have star athletes and coaches promoting this because it's a feel good thing for them too um and uh, and so we'll we'll send you a bunch of interested people they'll find a wimp to warrior program near them and you be my operator so it's asset light you do all the work we will just do the marketing and create the brand on top of this. 
I think this is actually really, really smart. I would invest in this company, um, even though it seems like so crazy fringe. Uh, I, no, I think that no. Actually, there's, there's a very nice model. Um, it's better than Tough Mudder, better than Spartan Race, better than all those because they, they take on a ton of operational overhead. They're a traveling circus. And so I, I like this model a lot better. So, okay, I think Whip to Warrior is cool. I think that your rite of passage, rite of passage thing is interesting, and especially we talked early on about Boy Scouts and like the downfall of the yeah. Boy Scouts program, and what you would do if you were going to buy it or reinvent it or make a new Boy Scouts, and um, and I think we were onto something with this, and we should keep looking for the opportunities that are here. Um, I'm uh, I'll, I'll tie this into the mental fitness thing. We we did a segment on Simone Biles in a podcast. Two two episodes ago or one episode ago, yeah, and we ended up cutting it. So it's on the it's it's in the lost archive, lost files, along with me and Sam's sparring footage from when I went to his house in and, Austin. And the reason we cut it is because I had a strong take. I was pretty like so, but we didn't. We had. I didn't have. I didn't have all the details of the story. I didn't realize that there. I thought this was. <laughs> When she said I had like a mental breakdown, I was like, "Oh, that's like crazy, like that's nuts." Weak. But then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then there's like these like the twisties things. I'm like, "All right, well, that's like that that's like an injury. That's a like a, your leg's broken type of thing." So my opinion changed, and I was like, "Ah, I didn't actually have all the facts when I was when I was kind of explaining my opinion." Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's true. And so we we basically were like, <laughs> we sent it to Sam's wife, and we were like, "Hey." What do you think? Too much? And she was like, yeah, a little too much. <laughs> and so we cut it. But I, I, I thought there was one part of it that was interesting, right? Like, so, yeah, nobody really cares about Sean and Sam's opinion on Simone Biles, even though kind of that's whatever. It can be interesting. The more, the more crazy your reaction, the more interesting it gets. I thought the more interesting – I thought the real part in it was there's going to be a trend. I'm calling it now. Over the next five to seven years – People are going to start to really give a shit about mental fitness, and it's a very different thing than mental health. Just like for your physical body, you have health. Like, do you have a disease? Are you ill? Like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not sick. But you can be not sick, but you can be not fit at the same time. And um, right, so so you could be healthy but not fit. And in the same way, you could have mental health, meaning you don't, uh, you're, you're not suffering from you know depression, uh, severe anxiety, bipolar, anything like that. But you can also not be mentally fit. And, you know, so what's a fit person, right? Sam's a really fit person, uh, you know, really physically fit. If you work out with Sam, you go for a run with Sam, you'll be like, God damn, this guy can run. He's, you know, he can go long distances. He's, he's fit. And so similarly, there's mental fitness, which is basically just like in physical fitness, it's about overcoming some adversity. So a mentally fit person is somebody who can overcome a high degree of and variety of of, of adversity and intensity of diverse of, of adversity. And so, um, you know, shit, not going your way, uh, getting in sticky situations, being out of your comfort zone. These are all areas where mental fitness matters. Relationships, uh, d- d- different, different, uh, challenges that come your way is where mental fitness matters. And I think right now, this is something that is very poorly understood. It's rarely talked about. It's almost never taught, but I would say mental fitness is in my opinion, the most important skill one can have, right? The most important thing is the little voice in your head that's talking all day, nonstop, this chatterbox we have in our head. And what is it telling yourself? Is it telling yourself that you suck, that you can't do it? Is it telling yourself that you should give up? This is too hard. Is it telling yourself that, uh, uh, you know, don't do it. Things might go wrong. Or is it saying the opposite? Is it saying, uh, you know what? You could figure this out. Hey, um, even if it doesn't work out, no problem. You know, you'll still, everything will still be okay. 
hey, even though this this person just cut you off on the road, look at the, look around. The sky is blue. The, the air is crisp. Your, your family is happy and healthy. You have a lot to be grateful for, right? Like the voice in your head dictates the quality of your life, and the voice in your head is your mental fitness. It is it is the the, the manifestation of your mental fitness, and so I think we're going to be seeing a lot around this. I think we're going to be seeing growth in services, content, um, thought leaders, whatever around mental fitness. What do you think? Am I overblowing this or is that, uh, are you a believer? I'm a believer. I think that what you're doing with this title mental fitness is I think you're just rebranding something that's been around for a long time. You know, this is like a Tony Robbins book. So I, 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 I totally buy into what you're saying and I, and I 100% agree with it. I think there's a few opportunities here. The first is, so I'm reading this amazing book called Human Nature. I've been reading it for a long time, for like six months. And it's it's very dense, but I've, I'll read it and read it over and over and over again. And I take notes and I'm trying to like master it because to right. me, it's like a handbook on how to like handle people. my emotions <laughs> and how to handle other people. Now, the, what I would do with this is what I would want to do is almost have like a wimp to warrior type of program where I can spend a fair bit of money and have a very intense program. And I think that a mental fitness type thing, I think that's a lifetime of learning and a lot that's like a lifetime journey. But I do think that there is like transformational moments and series of your life that could actually level you up significantly. And I think that there's an opportunity to build something like that in this weird kind of fucked up way. I've always been a little bit jealous of people who went to the military or at least people who um, went to military school because like there's this like classic like I was undisciplined. I was yeah. fat. I was unhealthy. I wouldn't wake up early. Now I make my bed. I know how to like show respect to e each other to, to people. I have self confidence. I know I have a, a, a new level of discipline and I'm like, and oh also, my God, I know what I'm made of. I went through hell week and I made it. So I, I have been to my breaking point beyond my breaking point where there was just no way. And, and I did it and you know, they don't brag about it, but you could tell there's a certain level of confidence that people have by discovering your bottom, right? What is your actual rock bottom? Not, not, not in terms of your money, but in terms of like your mental, your mental game where you break, you break physically. Yeah. Sure. But when you break mentally, it's over. And uh, and so they've been there because, you know, that's what the military does to challenge you in that way. And I've always been jealous of that. I'm like, man, I wish that like I make a, I, I, I say it in a joking way, but I'm not actually joking. When I'm with my wife, I'm like, I, I wish I would have went, went to military school because like there's some like discipline stuff that I don't have that I wish I, I would have had. And it's almost like I've searched for like what type of programs can I go to where it's like uh, it's like basically like the like the, the the soft version of that. It's like a like a right. fat camp version of that where I can just like spend money and they just like insult me for a week. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I think that's like I think there's something there with that. And I also think that there's something there with mastering some of these books and some of these things um, and doing this mental fitness type of type of stuff. And so I'm on board with this. I, I actually think this is quite amazing. Yeah. I, and I, I think the, the, the word is amazing in this concept, this concept of, look, you're healthy. You're not like ruined, but you're not fit. I think that's amazing. I love, um, you know, who could like crush us if they wanted to, but I don't think they, they do. Have you bit paid attention to what Ryan holiday has done with his stoic brand? No. Like I, I'm, I'm from afar, but I don't, I don't know anything specific. I've seen his books, but tell me what's interesting. So Ryan Holiday is an author. His first book was called How to Get Famous or what was it called? How to 
It's like newsjacking or whatever. <laughs> and, yeah, I forget what it was called. Then he's but got it was like pretty... the obstacle is the way, ego is the enemy or something like that. He's got a bunch. Yeah, so he's got obstacles, way, ego. And this whole idea is based on Stoicism, which is this, uh, I, I, what are they, Greek? I don't know. Marcus Aurelius, the, these philosophies of basically like you're going to face hardship in your life. And it's not about avoiding them, but it's about embracing them and finding meaning in, in them. And it's great. And he's and, and it's probably predominantly male, young males who listen to his stuff. I, I'm one of them. And he's built this brand called the Daily Stoic. So I believe it's called DailyStoic.com. And he sells $25 Stoicism coins, which I own one. He sells um, like a $19 email course where every 14 days he teaches you like a new Stoicism like thing on how to read Thanks. more. Like, and it's it's pretty amazing. And like, if I don't think he would ever want to do this because he he seems like he's got a good life and he doesn't want to work much harder. But I I would imagine that if Ryan Holiday had like a stoism boot camp for like a month and he charged like ten grand and like it was around this mental fitness idea, I think loads and loads of people, including me, would would pay to go. Yeah. uh, By the way, I heard something that I thought was great. They go. A lot of people get it backwards. I forgot who said this. Uh, they were talking about stoicism. And I was like, yeah, you know, stoicism, I've, uh, uh, you know, I get it. You're supposed to be stoic. And then that, that brings you sort of this calm and this peace. And it's like sort of like really stable mental, mental game. And uh, he goes, no, it's the other way around. When you calm the mind, you become stoic. You don't become stoic to calm the mind. And uh, I thought, oh, that's so true, which is that you, um, that's exactly how it works is people think, oh, if I practice stoicism, I'll become that person who is calm mind and able to just operate and doesn't have these sort of like massive swings. And it's like, no, it's the other way around. When Once you learn to tame the mind, once you learn to master the mind, you'll naturally become a stoic person. Um, you have to get the, get the order back, get the order right. And uh, so that was like a big breakthrough for me because I know, I know a lot of people that have tried to get into stoicism. They, they have this – anxiety they have this like sort of mental like lack of clarity and calmness they get into stoicism thinking it's the answer and they get sort of disillusioned very quickly they're like oh yeah it wasn't for me and it's like well that's true because stoicism is is almost a state you get to after you learn how to calm the mind it's not the method you use you know so i've read a lot of stoicism books and and i like it from just a history perspective and i like it from a practical life philosophies perspective i think it's one of the very few like philosophical things that you could apply to your daily life. You know whose book changed my it kind of changed my life on it and it was shocking. It was Naval. That Naval Almanac. What's it called? Right. The Naval Almanac. It's so good. It's so good. So the <laughs> the first half is all about making money and the second half is all about being happy. And the first half is like that's just normal, whatever. Who cares? The second half I felt was was pretty game changing. And he talks a lot about stoicism and a lot about mental fitness. And I and he was basically like uh, the, the, the summary is basically happiness is a choice that I made and here's some of the strategies that I use and it's very sto it, it is stoicism and right. I thought it was very useful. All right, let's, uh, let's jump to a different topic, uh, real can, quick. Can, so. can I, wait, let me quick tell you really quick about one of the greatest hacks that I've seen. So a financial hack. So yeah. when starting a company. So the first one that I always tell people, and this is something that's new to me that a lot of people, or was new to me, a lot of people don't know about. It's called QSBS. So it's probably the greatest American uh, tax <laughs> ad. Uh, basically, when you sell your company, if you have QSBS, which basically is like, the, the, it basically means qualified small business tax. So if you sell a business and you've owned the business stock for five years and it's a C-corp, 
if you sell your company, the first ten million dollars in sales or in uh in, in profit that you make from selling your company, you don't you don't pay taxes on. So it's amazing. But I think I found something that's even better. Um moving to Canada. So I talked to this company the other day and they and they were building this like amazing thing. And I was like, how how many people work there? You're like a really new company. And they're like, well, we have about 18 people who work here and we only spend about a million dollars a year uh, in total cost. And right. that's kind of cr- So basically when you're starting a company, I started my company in San Francisco. If you're starting your company, I I would imagine that you would, when I started it, uh, it was $10,000 a head, but I, and I was hiring like, um, Young people who didn't pay much, but I imagine you'd want to you'd want to bake in fifteen thousand dollars a head, right? Easily, especially if it's enge- engineers. Yeah, so maybe more. So, but let's just say fifteen thousand. So fifteen thousand times twelve is let's see, fifteen thousand times twelve is um. So that's one hundred eighty grand a head. Oh, I think it's even more than that. It's probably it's, it's two hundred. So, so that number you're talking about is basically seven years ago and non engineers. And now you fast forward seven years, double it, and then t- engineers basically double it again. And so, you know, what what was maybe let's say ten grand is actually you should be buck you should be budgeting almost thirty grand uh, thirty grand per per head is probably closer to reality now. Thirty grand, you think? Okay, so if thirty grand engineers, yeah. So thirty grand times twelve is three sixty. So three hundred sixty thousand dollars a an employee. So three sixty times uh, fifteen. If you have fifteen employees, that's going to be around five million dollars a year. And, and by the way, so that's not um, that's not the, just their salary. So let's say their salary is two hundred to something k. Then you have to pay all the like you know kind of additional overhead on salaries, which is about twenty percent. That's your FICA. That's your Social Security. All that good stuff. You have your rent. You have your free catered lunches. You have your your snacks in the office. You have all the other bullshit that you got to do if you're going to hire in this like extremely competitive hiring environment. Signing bonuses, recruiter fees, it all rolls up. Uh, so if that number sounds high, uh, if that number sounds high, you'd be surprised. If that number sounds low, you're probably right. And so let's just say like three to five million dollars is a huge range to have a team of fifteen engineer heavy, uh, highly competitive startup. Uh, to to get going, it's a lot of money. I talked to this guy the other day, and he had fifteen people, and I was, and he told me he was spending a million dollars a year, and I was like, wait, what? He goes, yeah. So here's how it works in Canada: we have these things called the research and development credits, and basically what that means is if you are an engineer, is, is how what, what's called. it called? They call them shred credits, even though it's it's S R E D, but they, I think they just when people talk about it, they call them shred. Yeah, I I heard people mention it, but I didn't actually look at the mechanics of it. And and I'm not an expert on it, but he was reading it to me and I was amazed. And basically what happens is he pays their full salary. So he pays uh, some engineer 150 grand a year. And at the end of the year, I think he literally gets like deposited money back 50% of the cost that he's allocated or he's paid them. He gets that money back at the end of the year. So $160,000 salary is actually only 80k to him. And also, in order to manage cash flow, there's these loans. There's loans that you can so he has to pay the $160,000, so 160,000 biweekly. So he pays that out. So you have to have cash up front, but he was able to get a loan against that. And so he gets a loan up front and then at the end of the year after paying taxes and things like that, he gets the salary money back. This was amazing. And he was telling me all about it and this guy was based in Toronto and I've never been to Toronto, but it's it sounds like an amazing place. There's a company that you should check out for this. Uh, that's kind of cool. So, so most companies aren't going to make the drastic move to go move to Canada. So, there's a company. Ah, it's, it's it's part of Atomic. Uh, if you've ever seen it. And, and while you're talking, pulling that up, I think um, 
I think the best arbitrage to do this in, or one of the easiest, is service-based businesses. Uh, so okay, so but I think you can't do it unless they're engineering. I, th- I feel like it's only engineering roles. It, it, it's, I believe, uh, it's for anything that's uh, research and development. Right, which usually I think is uh, no, no, because no, the at the hustle we got a uh, we got a tax credit for some type of research and development stuff, and I had to go through each employee and like kind of guesstimate what percentage what of the per- time is on right. like research and development, and and you can do this for agencies. Um, you can get a fair bit of money back. Uh, so agencies that do a certain type of thing, and I was at my friend's office. Uh, who has a New York agency and their office was like lavish because, <laughs> and, and, and they spent, they, I think they sent half a million dollars uh, in decorating it. And uh, I was, I was like, well, why do you guys do it? And he's like, well, this is just what you got to do to like keep up with everyone. And I was like, well, fuck, I don't want to play this game. I'd rather keep up with other people in other places. And I think that the, we have a friend who has an agency and he sells to Silicon Valley and New York companies, but he does this arbitrage thing and he makes way more profit than most huge right. agencies. The um the company I was talking about is Terminal Terminal I think they basically their 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 startup is, is a smart idea. They basically were like, hey, we will spin up a, a Canadian engineering office for you. So you want these credits, you want these cheaper engineers, but you don't want to relocate yourself and your whole business and figure out shred credits and figure out where to go find engineers and figure out you know the best coffee shop in Toronto. Cool, we will do the engineering office for you, and you just pay our bill and like basically they're kind of like a. Uh, a recruiting slash spin-up agency for for talent in in this region, which I think is pretty smart. A smart arbitrage. Now they're doing it in kind of a fancy way. I think anybody can really do this. I think it's a smart idea. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, this guy like made this. It like I had this whole conversation, and then he like kind of he like made this offhanded comment, and I'm like, wait, 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 what? And <laughs> that like it totally was like a, there was a big shift there. Um, and I was like, I'm sorry, I know we're not supposed to like this isn't like the main point of this conversation, but can you tell me everything about this? Right. And that was pretty that was pretty amazing. Uh, you want to oh, do one more? Yeah, let's do one quick one. Um, all right. What's fun? Uh, did you see that Reese Witherspoon sold her production company for nine hundred million dollars? Yeah. And a lot of people caused a fuss about that. And I don't entirely understand the business, but I don't think I think people caused a fuss because they don't understand what the buyers were getting. But I don't, I'm almost I don't understand what they're getting. Why is this worth $900 million? They get three TV shows and her her team? Well, so this is like kind of bro science. So I want to preface like I haven't done like entirely a bunch of research <laughs> yeah. on this. But Reese Witherspoon has had this production company, I think, since like the early-ish 2000s. So for a long time. What that means is I believe that she owns the rights. You know, do, do you realize that Reese Witherspoon is like, like she's gross like over a billion dollars. I mean, she's like one of those people that she's like the Killers. Like the Killers is a band that like maybe not everyone says that they're it's their favorite band, but like everyone knows like Mr. Brightside and they like you know, they they they're quietly in the background just always the best uh, and the most popular <laughs> even though they're no one's favorite. That's kind of what Reese Witherspoon is. It's like everyone that at least kind of likes her and will, will go to her movies. And so with uh with the deal, I believe what they're buying is like a lot of IP from years and years of production work. So uh okay, so so I'm looking up I'm looking it up right now. So it says that she started Hello Sunshine, the company that got bought in 2016. Before that, she had another one called Pacific Standard in 2012. And that's a subsidiary of it, so she kind of rolled that in. So 2012, so that's only a decade. Uh, uh, I guess in 2000, she had another production company called Type A Films, and they made 
I don't know, some Oscar boot gone girl they made, uh, you know, not nothing too big. Big Little Lies was their hit recently. And then they had The Morning Show, uh, which is on Apple TV. But uh, this is wild. This is like so she has a book club and the book club has over 500,000 followers on Instagram. That's pretty amazing. Um, she also owns a dude, good for uh, her. She's a filmmaking lab that teaches 20 year old, 20 girls that are 13 to 18, the art of filmmaking. Like this is great dude. be, be like, Reese she also has a, uh, she also has a clothing brand. I think it's called Draper James and they have brick and mortar stores all over the country. What a, no, po- what a powerhouse. Uh, Reese is kind of like an Oprah thing where she's got kind of got a web of like a variety of different things. She's, uh, she's a baller. She's also a, kind of a baller because a few years ago, her husband, her and her husband were at a party and they drove home and her husband was got pulled over and I think he got a DUI and she got out of the car and like uh, confronted the cop and, and she's like, oh, well, I'm going with him. So and she got arrested with her husband. So she she, she she's kind of a she's kind of a boss. No, it, it's amazing. I think if I remember correctly, I believe her company was bought by Kevin Mayer, who recently was the CEO of TikTok America, but got fired because of all the stuff. And before that, was Disney. he the CEO? He, he, was he, he a CEO he was, of Disney? Or he wasn't president the CEO of Disney, or? but he was president, and he he like was the president, I think, of Disney Plus uh, before like when they launched or whatever. Yeah, Which so he's a big swinging dick, and he, yeah, and he basically they bought this company to build a conglomerate of like some type of media company. I, I don't entirely understand the structure. The, these deals to me always seem very complicated, and they seem very like deal makey. Like, I just I don't, don't understand, understand like, the, the... the numbers, right? Because like I'm looking at the, the so I'm looking at the assets. So they have. Gone Girl, which which made three hundred sixty million uh, gross in the box office, and then the next highest one was fifty billion. So they have four films, uh, of which you know n- nothing nothing huge. Um, and then they have on TV they got Big Little Lies, The Morning Show, Little Fires Everywhere. Those are the three shows you know. And then there's six that have been bought or sold to either Apple TV Plus, Amazon, ABC, Netflix, whoever. I just don't get how you get to that number because I feel like to do that you you basically need to uh, like like the office was getting a hundred million dollars a year of like streaming royalties. That's like, you know, the top or friends, you know, those were getting a hundred million a year. I feel like there's a pretty deep drop off after that. So I think this is like this is like a beats by Dre acquisition is kind of what I see it as, which is basically somebody being like, Cool, we get Reese. We get Reese and, and then some stuff. Great. I think that's basically like when Apple bought Beats and they're like, Great, we get you know, we get Dr. Dre and we get whatever his name is, Jimmy Iovine or or whatever. Um, plus, we get some headphones. All right, three billion. Yeah, we'll we'll pay three billion for 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 that. But I think it's like the most expensive yeah, Apple hire. The company that bought it was Blackstone. They're the funding, and they they I, I I would imagine they don't. They're pretty savvy. I don't know if they overpay for a lot of stuff. Well, I Blackstone mean, like- is funding. That guy, Kevin Mayer, Kevin Mayer's company is the one who bought this. So I think it's more like Kevin. I think it's more like a Quibi thing where Kevin Mayer, in this case, uh, Quibi was started by what's the name? Jeffrey Katz. Katzenberg. Katzenberg. You know, the DreamWorks, the guy who started DreamWorks. So he was able to go raise $2 billion because he's like, I'm Jeffrey Katzenberg. I started DreamWorks. And uh, then he used it to go buy a bunch of content and it all evaporated into zero dollars. Um, I think that's that's you know more like what this is like versus something some like real asset that you can analyze and say yeah it's worth that. Um, Dude, congratulations, congratulations to Reese for getting that bag. We I would I, that she is actually amazing. Reese yeah. Witherspoon's pretty amazing. Have you seen Have you seen what she You, you know she's like, I, I think she's in her mid fifties, isn't she? I don't know, but she's killing it. And uh, I she looks exactly she the same. Well, that's she looks exactly Hollywood. the same. They get like you know. 
shot up all over their face and you know they, they, they look the same or 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 it goes the other way and they just look super weird and they're like yeah it's just gone wrong um you know <laughs> we'll end on this one one last thing you know the new covid strain uh it's called like whatever delta the delta variant delta plus is the new one uh, i was thinking about this this morning first delta how shitty for delta airlines just for for the new covid strain to get named after you God, that's a that's a tough that's a tough loss to just wake up to. It's like, yo, which scientist just decided to name this Delta? Like, that's not cool. And then I was thinking, it's a scary name. It's a scary name. <laughs> I was thinking, what would that be worth to them if you were Delta? Deltas, if you were Delta, what would you pay some lobbyist, some some bribery to some scientist? How much money would you shove in the briefcase for this to not be called? The Delta variant. It's like, yo, call you, this well, the United you, variant. Call this the uh, <laughs> the the uh, Southwest variant. Don't call this the Delta variant. So I'm staying at this hotel. It's called the I don't know what's called Gaylord Opryland, or I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but I I think it's called Gaylord. I mean Gaylord Opryland. That wasn't like a joke. That's what it's called. And I'm in this like wing of the hotel called the Delta Wing, and it I it. It, it has like a bright red sign that says Delta Wing, and I'm just like, when I'm seeing this, I'm like, oh man, this is just like not good. They're like so, a hospital wing, yeah. but yeah, I don't. Did you associate Delta Airlines with the variant? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It's gonna happen. I mean, Corona, like Corona beer with the coronavirus, like you know, that can't have been good for them. Um, I didn't associate Corona beer too much with that. Did you? I mean, yeah, people did. It's like that. It became the word of the year, and it's associated with like the deadliest virus in a hundred years is the coronavirus. And, Who uh, owns Corona? You know, ex- except did for it- you know, nothing good comes from that, except for you know the like college bro who's like, bro, I've had I've had the coronavirus for you know five years, been loving Corona, so, you know, ever since. <laughs> it's like that joke. That's the only upside you get. Uh, everything else is downside, and so. I don't know. I feel like Delta should pay, you know, they're worth, I think, like $25, $30 billion, something like that. Who I do think, you pay? I, no, you can't. You can't pay anybody. But I'm saying, what would they pay if they could push a button and make this go away? I feel like this is worth a billion dollars to Delta. Like, easily, this is worth 125th of their of their market cap. This is worth a 4% swing in, like, brand value, perception. You know who's going to want to fly on Delta with the Delta variant going on? Uh, I just feel like that's a there's there's some weird hey, association. I, I flew with here on Delta. That's my airline. <laughs> and you're staying in the Delta wing, so I think you're. you're... And I'm selling on the Delta wing. <laughs> you're just huffing huffing Delta. All right. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I I feel like if I could if I could secretly present the CEO with a button that said "Pay a billion dollars and this goes away," this doesn't this isn't called Delta. I think he pushes that button. Yeah, I would agree. Um, all right. I think that I think we had an action packed episode. We'll see what people think. Um, I think we gave like eight good things. Good. All right. And uh, all right. Early morning episode in the books. Enjoy the podcast conference. Uh, all right. I'll see yeah. you. See ya. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off On the road, let's travel, never looking back